Well, hey there, guys. Greetings and salutations, and welcome to the channel on this weekend and this little installment of Ask Me Anything. You know, normally we try to confine all the comments and questions to just movies, movie news, TV, and streaming. But, you know, every once in a while, I like to do an Ask Us Anything where you guys can ask us about the industry. You can ask about uh, tech that we use, or you can ask us about, you know, a lot of different things. I mean, not everything is appropriate to be asked, but, you know, some things are, and that's what we're here to do on this. Did I say Saturday? Man, today's Sunday. The weekend's flying by so fast. I hope you guys are having a good weekend. Mm. Ann and I are having a fabulous weekend. It's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you a little story. I won't, I won't name names, but there's somebody that I kind of became, you know, friends with online. And uh, we, we've, t we've been, we've talked for a while and stuff like that. And uh, him and his wife said they were having uh, a little party on Saturday night and invited Ann and I to go. And, and I said, you know what? Why not? Let's go. And so we went. And what I did not know was this online friend of mine that I've been talking to for a while. We met, we met online in various movie discussion stuff. And Ann and I went and it turns out like I walk into the house and it's like, first of all, it's beautiful, right? Like just gorgeous. And like, Forget hot toys. Like there were these giant metal statues of like famous sci-fi movie characters and stuff like that. And I walked in and we we chat. It was the first time we met in person. We're chatting. There's a bunch of other people there. And we're chatting. I've said, you gotta forgive me. I'm geeking out. I'm geeking out over the stuff you've got in here. Like totally, totally geeking out over the stuff you've got there. And he he shows me and Ann around and blah, pointing out all the stuff. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I, I directed that and I directed, I'm like, wait, wait, is your last name such and such? He said, yeah, I thought you knew that. I'm like, no, I never really knew. And it turns out this is a guy who's a director of several movies that you are very familiar with. And yeah, it was actually kind of funny. It was, uh, you never know, the weirdest things can happen when you live in LA. <laughs> Weirdest things can happen when you live in LA. So yeah, that was, that was pretty fun. Anyway, I hope you guys have been having an interesting uh, weekend as well. I, uh, I'm flying solo today uh, because today Anne and a couple of our friends went to Disneyland. I no longer go to Disneyland. Fuck Disneyland. I will never, I've never don't going there again, but you know, that doesn't mean Anne can't go. Anne's gone to Disneyland. So I thought this would be good opportunity for us to do an ask me anything today. So Without, you know, wasting any more time, let's dive into it and uh, see what you guys are wanting us to talk about. We're going to start with Tom and Tom Grocut writes, Tom Brady has invested in my team, Birmingham City. Yeah, I guess Ryan Reynolds has started a fad. Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney have started a fan now. Uh, famous celebrities investing in professional soccer teams. So there you go. Tom Brady's now in that league. All right. Let's see. Next up, we've got Michael Jones and Michael Jones writes uh, one of two on open mic on Thursday. You were talking about Oppenheimer moving up the list of highest grossing R rated movies. Um, you said it could possibly get past Passion of the Christ at 629 million. Uh, well, it could be around, it should be around 640 million by Sunday. It still has China, Korea and Italy still to open. Prognosticators are saying 700 million is locked and a good chance at 800 million and can't rule out nine. I'll, I'll rule out 900 million. I don't think it'll get to 800 either. A good chance it ends up at the number two list. Got to remember, though, I don't think China is going to be very big on Oppenheimer, to be honest with you. 
And Italy is a small movie market. It doesn't, it's not, Italy's not going to contribute $150 million to the box office of Oppenheimer. I mean, I'm a good Italian kid, but you know, Italy's not that giant of a movie market. So uh, yeah, I will rule out 900. I really, I don't think it'll get to 850. Remember the movie's been playing a long time in theaters now, uh, but it's still in the top 10. It's going to probably end up around the number seven, maybe number six, R-rated box office film of all time. It's right now my favorite film of the year. Um, and what it has done is like nothing short of absolutely remarkable. By the way, I just noticed that Michael Jones like uh, super chatted in like 40 bucks to send that. Thank you so much, Michael, for supporting us on that level, man. We really appreciate that. And again, yeah, I don't think it'll climb that high, but it is already remarkable how high it has climbed. I mean, I, I don't think a lot of people saw Oppenheimer cracking six. I mean, everybody knew it was going to be great, but I don't think a lot of people saw a crack in 600 million. Um, so its run is already incredible and it's going to win some Oscars. I don't know how many, I don't know which ones exactly, but it's going to win some Oscars. I, I feel pretty good about that. All right, let's move on here. Uh, Azaz writes, uh, thanks to you and the crew, uh, I've grown a deeper love for cinema. Awesome. I'm nearing 1000 movies watched. Nice. And I had a love for movies since I was three years old. Well, I, okay. First of all, Azaz, that's awesome to hear. I love hearing that. It is you know, when you love something, I think this is true of everybody, whether it's a particular band or it's a particular brand of something or it's a particular movie or a particular whatever it is. One of the biggest things we love doing as fans of something is spreading the word of that something to other people, right? And I'm no different. I love movies. I've been a passionate lover of movies. My earliest childhood memories, my mom taking me to see Star Wars. And ever since almost all, I, this is why I'm very socially inept. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. I'm, I'm extremely socially inept. I'm very, very socially awkward. But when I'm in crowds of people and groups of people, my default, my entire life has been to talk about movies. Because it's something I just love spreading the joy that I have of movies. And to hear you say that you've grown in your appreciation of movies because of, the, of what we do here, that's really special to me. So thank you for sharing that with me, man. I appreciate it a lot. All right. Uh, let's move on here. Next up, we've got The Daily Prophet who writes, why is, it Disney, why is Disney making remakes from their vault? Because they're making them a shit ton of money. That's why. Uh, when there are always some controversy surrounding them and also not really being as good as the original. Irrelevant. It's absolutely relevant. Aladdin, I don't care if uh, Guy Ritchie's Aladdin, the one that starred Will Smith, I don't care as good as the original anime. That, does, that doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. It's a totally irrelevant thing whether it's as good as the original thing. It's a total non sequitur. Doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is, is it a good movie? And Guy Ritchie's Aladdin is a fucking great movie. It's a great movie. Anna and I went back to theaters to watch it three or four times, always left singing with big smiles on our faces. It, was it as good as the original Robin Williams masterpiece? No, but, but very few movies in history are as good as that movie. It was still great in and of itself, and it made over a billion dollars. And I don't give a shit what the popular opinion is. The Lion King 3D animated remake is totally awesome. I love it. Not as good as the original Lion King. I don't give a shit who disagrees with me. I really enjoyed that movie a lot. I remember Aaron Cummings and I went to go see it together at an early 
screening of it. And I remember by the time the opening song is, when that first circle, you know, when that when the first song ends, both Aaron and I look at each other and we're both like weepy. Like we're, we're both weeping. Um, I, and so was it as good as the original Lion King? No, hardly any movies in history are as good as that movie. But, but it was really enjoyable to me. And more importantly than that, it made a billion dollars. It made well over a billion dollars. It's the, I believe it's the highest grossing animated film of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Lion, the Lion King remake is the highest grossing animated film in history. Um, so, I mean, yeah. Why do they remake them? Because it, number one, it doesn't matter if they're as good as the originals. That's not the question. The question is, are you making... It's like saying, why make any movie if it's not going to be better than The Godfather? Well, because not every movie needs to be as good as The Godfather. You make movies, so hopefully this movie in and of itself is fun, is entertaining, and can make money for the people who made it. That's all that matters. Do they deliver entertainment that the audiences enjoy? And can they make money while they're doing it? That's success. And so why do they make remakes of their vault material? Because they've entertained the audiences and they've made money. So, I mean, that's why they do it. And that's why they will continue to do it. All right. Uh, let's see. With that down, let's keep going here. Next up. Thanks for sending that question in, Daily Profit. All right. The Thunder Force, <laughs> Thunder Force 2000 writes, uh, do you think the underwhelming box office numbers of Mission Impossible... D-O-R? I'm not sure what the O is for, but if you mean Dead Reckoning Part 1, have any effect on the release of Part 2? No, none. Uh, no impact on it at all. I mean, I don't... All you can do is try to make the best movie you can. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is a great movie. It's not the best film of the year, but it's a great movie. And, and everybody seems to like it. The critics liked it. The audiences liked it. But, I mean, people didn't go out in droves. I lost track of where they are. Give me one second here. Let me see where Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning's at right now. It only made $4.6 million this weekend. I mean, it's, it's, it's gone over the half a billion mark. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 right now is sitting at $522 million. Which, you know, whenever you go over a half a billion dollar mark... That's nothing to sneeze at, but it's not as high as people thought. But again, like I remember when conversations about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 were going around, like some people saying the movie was going to be, a, it's a guaranteed billion dollar film. And I was like, guys, it's not going to make a billion dollars. I mean, it's not impossible they could make a billion dollars, but like no Mission Impossible movie has ever made a billion dollars. I, I don't think Christopher McQuarrie, Paramount, Tom Cruise. I don't think they were expecting Dead Reckoning to be a billion dollar film. I think they were probably aiming for it to be around 800 million, but uh, yeah, it's coming under. And I think a lot of people are still very confounded about why that is. Actually, let me look up uh, Dead Reckoning uh, Rotten Tomatoes. And I just, just want to see what the critic and the audience scores on that are right now. Okay, so as of right now, check out, I don't know if this will come up on screen or not, it's 96% critic rating and 94% audience rating. A big action crowd pleaser that has massively high critic scores, massively high audience scores. So the critics loved it. The audiences loved it. 
People were looking forward to it. I, I honestly, right now, I think it's going to take us a few months to really ascertain why this movie um, didn't manage to get to that $700 million mark. Because I think most people, including me, like I never thought it would get to a billion, but I, I thought $700 million was very realistic. I thought it very realistically could have got $700 million. And I know that there are some people who will go out and say, well, it's because, you know, Barbie and Oppenheimer opened the week after that. No, it's not. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning had its opening weekend to itself. And it only made $54 million. Now, a, a lot of movies would kill to make $54 million on their opening weekend. Yes, but considering Barbie made like $160 million on its opening weekend... So it's like Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning was kind of underperforming before Barbie or Oppenheimer opened. So you can't blame it on Barbie and Oppenheimer. You just can't. Like if Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning had opened to $100 million and then all of a sudden once Barbie and Oppenheimer opened, it just suddenly stopped making money, then maybe there would be an argument there to be had about Barbie and Oppenheimer's impact on Mission Impossible. But the reality is it hasn't had an impact on it. It only opened to $54 million. And so I'll tell you what, a, a movie that opened for $54 million, still crossing half a billion is pretty good legs. So yeah, it wasn't Barbie and Oppenheimer. I'm, I'm still not sure what on earth it was, to be honest with you, Thunder Force. All right, next up, Fanjecture writes, Joker is the current highest grossing R-rated movie of all time at approximately $1.07 How much money would you put down on Deadpool 3 passing it and becoming number one? I feel pretty good about Deadpool 3 passing it. I think Deadpool 3 to get, can get to $1.1, billion. Now, a strong argument could be made that, well, John, like neither of the first two Deadpool movies made a billion dollars. Like they both made in the high 700 millions, right? Like neither got to 800 million. But Deadpool and Deadpool 2 are the number two and number three highest grossing R-rated films of all time. Joker is number one. Deadpool is number two or Deadpool 2 is number two. The first Deadpool is number three. Uh, both clocking in at over $700 million. But you're adding a whole new dimension to two whole new dimensions to that now. Actually, you know what? I'm going to say three. There's three reasons why I believe that Deadpool 3 will wildly exceed the first two Deadpool films as in terms of box office. Number one, it's been a long wait in between films, right? Deadpool 2 came out relatively quickly after Deadpool 1. And not that that hurt it at all, not at all, but we have been waiting for Deadpool 3 for years now, right? So that's one. The second big factor is, and you can't underestimate this, that Deadpool is now under Marvel. And that's something that a lot of people have been waiting for for a long time. So Deadpool's now under Marvel. So that's the second big difference. But obviously the big one is number three. Hugh Jackman as Wolverine is in there. Hugh Jackman, which we never thought we'd see play Wolverine again, right? Hugh Jackman made that pretty definitive. We're never going to see him as Wolverine again. It was done. He turned in his tights. He had served his term. He was, he served us faithfully as fans and he was done. And then all of a sudden comes out that he's going to be Wolverine again with Ryan Reynolds in a Deadpool movie. You put those three factors together 
And then you add them to the fact that the other two Deadpool movies got relatively close to $800 million. I really don't see how 1.1 billion is out of the question for a Deadpool 3. So unless early word comes out that the movie completely sucks and Hugh Jackman gets on social media and says he regrets making the movie, I, I have a hard time believing that Deadpool 3 will not become the number one R-rated comic book film of all time, as far as box office goes. So that's, that's where I'm at with that right now, Fanjecture. All right, next up, Tucker Flynn writes, uh, no, sorry, Orange Hand, my bad. Orange Hand writes, uh, favorite Stanley Tucci performance. Ooh. You know what? Um, I don't think, I don't think I'm going to say a movie that you're expecting me to say. Because it's a movie that he wasn't even a lead in. Not that Stanley Tucci's been the lead in many films. He's, he's actually one of the most iconic actors to not really be the lead in his movies a lot. Uh, but I'm going to give bonus points to anybody in the live chat that can guess what I'm going to say. Uh, what I'm going to say is what I believe to be the, high, the, the best Stanley Tucci performance. I'm going to give it a second because I know there's like a 10 second delay, but I'm going to see if anybody knows what it is. Uh, but Stanley Tucci is one of these guys that him just showing up in a movie um, gives a world more credibility to the movie, like a world more credibility to the movie. And hold on, let me see if I can bring this up here. Let me see if I can find this. Uh, um, just from him simply being there, uh, again, adds a world of credibility to the movie and all that kind of stuff. I'm just, hold on a second. Just want to pull, I'm just trying to see if I can pull up a poster here for you guys. So I'm, I'm looking through now. Some people are saying The Terminal, no. Transformers, no. Age of Extinction, One Piece, no. Devil Wears Prada, no. Lovely Bones, no. But he was real. I didn't love Lovely Bones, but that might be my second favorite performance of his. Uh, Captain America 1, no. Shall We Dance, no. My, I think my favorite Stanley Tucci performance is... Again, a relatively small role. It's called Julie and Julia with Meryl Streep. Amy Adams and Meryl Streep are the two leads of the film. Uh, Stanley Tucci plays Meryl Streep's love interest in the film where she plays Julia Child. And his performance is subtle, but it's emotionally anchoring. His performance is, is it's like... <laughs> It's just so good. And he doesn't have these big wild scenes. It's just that he owns every second of the camera when the camera's on him and he sells the scene every single time. He heightens the emotionality of the scene every time. And that's actually a very quiet winner for me of my favorite Stanley Tucci performance. All right, uh, let's see here. Next up, we've got uh, Tucker Flynn who writes, what soup slash villain would you love to get a video game for? Completely irrelevant. Doesn't matter. Uh, we've gotten great Spider-Man and Batman games. I think I'm ready for a great Daredevil game. Honestly, it's it's completely a moot point. It makes no difference. You All that matters is do you make a great video game? Like, take the PlayStation 5 Spider-Man games, right? 
if you just swapped out Spider-Man and put in a different hero and then made slight story changes to fit that hero other than the Spider-Man, it still would have been a super beloved, super popular game. I mean, yes, adding the Spider-Man name to it certainly helped from a marketing point of view, but the game was a great game, right? So I really don't care what hero um, is the title. Like, I love the movie E.T., but the old E.T. video game was a bag of shit. It doesn't matter that it was E.T., even though I love that movie, right? Who doesn't love E.T.? Come on, let's be honest here. But at the end of the day, who the hero is on the cover of the game is pretty much completely irrelevant. So it doesn't matter if it's my favorite hero or not my favorite hero. All that matters is it's a good game. So really, I can't think of one off the top of my head, to be honest with you. All right. Next up, thanks for that, Tucker. We got Raymond Verado writes, who would win in a battle of Ewoks versus Jawas? Oh, that's easy, Ewoks. I mean, Ewoks took out a battalion of stormtroopers. Jawas were all got slaughtered by just a couple of stormtroopers coming up and wanging them. So yeah, like the, even if it was in the desert, absolutely if it was in the forest moon, Ewoks win that every time. Uh, Ewoks would be having Jawa for dinner that night. All right, uh, let's see here. Ryan Hughes writes, one of two. John, will the Marvel's director's comments about the movie being different compared to other MCU films because it's silly and wacky hurt it even more in the box office? Uh, one of the biggest complaints about recent flops like Thor... <laughs> wait a minute, did you just call Thor a flop? Did you, Wait a minute, did you just call Thor a flop? Hold on a second here. Thor, Love, and Thunder. Thor, Love, and Thunder, which, by the way, did not cost $300 million to make. Thor, Love, and Thunder... Uh, made $760 million at the box office. It was a very profitable movie. Now, I've got my issues with Thor Love and Thunder. You, you guys know I have my issues with Thor Love and Thunder. You know I do. But words matter. Thor is not a flop. It made three quarters of a billion dollars. Not a flop. Uh, I, I, again, not the best Thor movie by any stretch of the imagination, but let's, let's movies that make tens of millions of dollars in profit, not a flop. <laughs> let's be very, very clear. Anyway, um, uh, complaints about recent flops, uh, like Thor and Ant-Man were that they were too silly and wacky. The Marvels is already facing an uphill battle and I can't imagine comments like this will help. Um, with Thor, sorry, not with Thor, with, um, Ant-Man 3, Quantumania, the problem with that movie was not that it was too silly. The problem with that movie is just not a good movie. It's just, it's just not. The dramatic tension wasn't set up right. They never got you invested in the characters. There was just, There's a laundry list of problems with um, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And I would go so far to say, I didn't find Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which is a movie you know I don't like. I do not like Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I think it's a bad film. But it wasn't bad because it was too silly. I actually think the first Ant-Man movie was a little bit more silly than Quantumania. And the first Ant-Man is fucking awesome. I love the first Ant-Man movie. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, amongst the huge laundry list of problems with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, it being too silly wasn't its biggest sin. It has a laundry list of problems that made that a very bad movie. Uh, I mean, not the worst movie Marvel's put out, but quite a poor movie in my opinion. But it wasn't because it was too silly. Now, Thor Love and Thunder, 
I generally like Thor Love and Thunder, but the very first thing I said when I came out of the theater in my um, out of theater reaction was it, it goes a little too silly. It does go too silly. And that really hurt the movie, I think, from a quality point of view, from being a really good movie. Like, I think if they if they reined in the super silliness of it by about 30 to 40 percent, it could have been a really good movie. But it dropped it. But it still made money. It still made a lot of money. But getting to the core heart of the question about, will those comments hurt um, the Marvels? I don't think that'll hurt the Marvels. Because listen, um, wacky and silly is like any other tool, right? It's like being dark. We've all seen movies that try to be dark and they're just bags of shit, right? They're just terrible. It doesn't matter that they're dark. Dark is just a tool that a filmmaker, and you can use it well or use it badly. Silly and wacky. Um, Spaceballs is silly and wacky. Guess what? It's one of my favorite movies of all time. But then other filmmakers try to use silly and wacky, but they use it badly, and it turns out being awful. It's like any, any tool in a filmmaker's belt. Comedy can be used well, it can be used badly. Trying to make some take something serious can go really well or can go really badly. Trying to make something dark can either go really well or go really badly. Silly and wacky in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that if you use it well, right? And I just pulled Spaceballs out as a random example, but there are a lot of movies that use silly and wacky Dumb and Dumber. Who's going to deny that Dumb and Dumber is silly and wacky? Dumb and Dumber is very silly and wacky. And we love it. And it's awesome. And then there's some movies that try to use silly and wacky, like Meet the Spartans. Meet the Spartans is silly and wacky, but it's total dog poop. It's terrible. Silly and wacky is neither good nor bad. Dark is neither good nor bad. It's all about how well they're executed. You know, in Thor 4, the silly and wackiness was not executed well. But in Thor Ragnarok, the silliness and wackiness was perfect. The silliness and wackiness in, in Thor Ragnarok was perfect. And then Taika Waititi just went way too far with it, I think, in Thor Love and Thunder. So, I mean, I'm not really sure. I think you're absolutely right that the Marvels is already facing an uphill battle. I, I think it is. And Secret Invasion did not help it at all. I mean, Secret Invasion... Um, because that is very much connected with the Marvels. I mean, Nick Fury is all over the advertising for that. And I think Secret Invasion has left a really bad taste on people's mouths. And by the way, good example, Secret Invasion of trying to be dark, but it didn't quite work. Um, so I, I look, I'll be honest with you, them saying silly and wacky, I have no problem with it. Because Ms. Marvel was kind of silly and wacky, and I fucking love Ms. Marvel. Ms. Marvel is the second best Disney Plus show. It's a fucking masterpiece. I love it. All the warmth, all the heart smiles. I love that show. But this Marvel show has, or this Marvel's movie has an uphill climb. It, it 100% does. I agree with you 1,000% on that, Ryan. And we're just going to have to see how it all kind of uh, shakes out, I guess. All right, great question, man. All right. Uh, Johnny got lost rights. Ninja Turtle, two chances. I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I really like the movie, but uh, Mutant Mayhem, by the way, Mutant Mayhem in its second weekend only took like a 46% drop. Crazy good. 
crazy good that it only took that much of a drop. Most movies would take a 55 to 60% drop. This thing took like a 46% drop. But the reality is it's only made $94 million worldwide after two weekends. I mean, the movie's great. Audiences are loving it. I love the. I was surprised how much I liked it. But the reality is it's got to make money for the studio to want to do another one. So I'm going to say 50-50 chance right now. I'm going to say it's got a 50-50 shot at that. So, you know, uh, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Uh, Joshua McGregor writes, Hey, John, with all the changes with the show, format, staff, et cetera, actually, there really hasn't been that much change, to be real. But anyway, uh, will we uh, still get the highly anticipated Day in the Life video? Yes. As a matter of fact, um, Jonathan and I just discussed that this week, that at some point we still need to do, kind of give you guys a walkthrough. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be all that interesting, but I've had a lot of people ask me for like a walkthrough of one of my standard days and what one of my regular days looks like. So yes, that video is still coming. I'm hoping to get it done by the end of September. So I've got about six weeks. I think we're going to be able to get it out before the end of September. Again, I don't know how interesting it's going to be, but I mean, it is coming. It is coming. Thanks for asking that, Joshua. Uh, next up, uh, LV Rartoff writes, Will people fully give up on Marvel Disney Plus if Born Again isn't any is isn't anything short of good? Daredevil is still regarded as one of, if not the best Marvel series. It's not the best Marvel series, WandaVision is, but Daredevil is right up there. Daredevil, Punisher. Some of those Netflix shows were awful. Some of the Netflix shows were awesome, Daredevil being one of them. No, this this whole thing isn't hinging on Daredevil. It's it's just not. Um but I'll tell you what, they they got to start cracking out some wins here because to me, and this is only me and it's all subjective, to me on Disney Plus, Marvel has only had two absolute wins. That's WandaVision and Ms. Marvel. There were a number of things that they put out that were okay, that were pretty good. Um, Loki, um, Falcon the Winter Soldier, um, those ones are pretty good. They're all right. But they weren't great like Ms. Marvel and WandaVision were. And then Hawkeye, I, I didn't like. She-Hulk was an absolute disaster. Moon Knight ended up being pretty disappointing. Secret Invasion ended up being pre pretty disappointing. So it's not about one thing like Daredevil. If they continue to put up... That's why... You know what? Somebody wrote in on the show the other day asking if we think if Disney... If Echo is actually pretty bad, if Disney should just eat the financial loss of the fact that they made it and just scrap it like DC did for Batgirl, and the answer to that question is absolutely yes. I mean, if every single Marvel Disney Plus show was knocking it out of the park, ah, they could put out Echo, even if it was bad, because they can handle one or two bad things, right? But, but the reality is the reputation of Marvel right now has taken a steep decline in the last couple of years, which like three or four years ago would have been considered unimaginable. But that's where we're at. And I, I think it was the right thing for Warner Brothers to scrap Batgirl. It was 100% the right decision. And if Echo, and by the way, you and I don't know if Echo's good or bad. We don't know that. I, I've not heard anything about whether Echo is good or bad. But if Echo is really bad, then yes, I would agree 100% that um, 
um, that Disney Plus should just absolutely scrap it. Somebody's asking me about Werewolf by Night. Yeah, that wasn't a series. That was like a one-shot little special, kind of like Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special. Both of those, by the way, Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special was bloody fantastic. Werewolf by Night was really, really good. But those were just two like little 45-minute one-shot things that they might build on later, but I don't really count those because they weren't series, six, seven, eight episode series. So I don't really count those. But uh, but yes, if, if that goes bad, they should probably scrap it. But I don't think Daredevil is going to be the make or break point on it. I don't. Who knows? People may be giving up on it long before Daredevil even comes out. All right. Bill's HQ writes, um, my boss is sending me to CinemaCon. Any uh, first tips? Uh, try to stay at the hotel. If you don't, if budget isn't a huge issue, try to stay at the hotel where the conference is happening, which is Caesar's Palace. It's a little bit more expensive, but try to stay there. If not, stay at a hotel that is within 10 to 15 minutes walk. You don't want to stay too far away from Caesar's Palace. You, so you can get some cheaper options right around Caesar's Palace, but try not to get too far from it because you're going to be going back and forth a lot. So that's that's my biggest tip on that. All right. Uh, Joshua McGregor writes, Hey, John, I know Aaron is in New York City now. Yep. And her and Tom just had another little baby. Uh, however, is there uh, still a way to get Chris to watch that scary movie so we could see maybe her and Ray uh, or you or you and Chris bring on the filthy. I don't think that's going to happen. I, the only way I was going to be able to get Chris to do it. And the only way I was going to be able to get Aaron to do it was if the two of them did it together. I don't think there's any way I can get Chris to do it without Aaron. Uh, not to mention Chris is only here for a very, very limited amount of time. Remember she doesn't live close. She drives like an hour to get here for the show. So and she's not here long. She's got other responsibilities. She comes in, she does the show, she goes home because she has other responsibilities. So I don't know that I have like three and a half hours that I can carve out for her to do something like that. And I don't really think she's interested in doing that. So uh, yeah, there's that. All right. Good question, Joshua. Next up, uh, LV Rartoff writes, also, do you plan on giving I'm going to assume you mean Daredevil, a rewatch anytime soon? Nah. Uh, I often think that the series had no business being as good as it was. Incredibly satisfying. It's a very, very good series. I don't rewatch um, non-comedy series very often. I just recently did a rewatch of my all-time favorite show, which is Battlestar Galactica, uh, the Ronald Moore Battlestar Galactica. And I just did a rewatch of it for the first time. I'm not really unless it's a comedy like Parks and Rec or The Office, I'm not really a series re rewatch person. So no, I don't really have, I loved Daredevil. I loved it, but I, I don't have time to do a rewatch of it, unfortunately. All right, uh, next up, we've got Joshua McGregor writes, can we have a reunion show on your final day with the old crew? Just talking movies and reflecting, bring on the filthy. No, when I'm not even sure I don't know why there are so many questions about my retirement. I mean, I admit, I'm probably going to retire sometime in 2025, some somewhere around Superman Legacy, whenever that comes out. Um, not because I'm trying to time it to Superman Legacy. It's just probably roughly around that time. Maybe right around when it comes out, maybe at the end of the year, you know, give and take. Maybe I'll push it to 2026, whatever. But it's still a ways off. I'm still a couple years away, away from retiring. But 
I think when I retire, I don't think I'm going to tell anybody. Um, I honestly think when I retire, um, it will be a regular show. And then when the, sh when we get to the end and I'll say, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campbell show. Thank you so much for being here. Make the show part of your day. And just to let you guys know, today was my last show. I am now retiring. Uh, thank you so much for everything and blah, blah. And then I'm just going to end. Cause I don't think I, I'm, I don't think I'm going to want any buildup. I don't think I'm going to want, um, anything like that. I honestly think that when I retire, it'll just be, thanks for being here guys. And by the way, today was my last show and thank you to everybody. And, you know, then I'll, I'll write a big article or something truly expressing all my gratitude and thanks to all of you guys. And I'll do a proper thing later, but when I think I do my last show, I don't think I'm going to let people know it's my last show. I'll let my staff know because they're going to need to know. But other than that, I don't think I'm going to let anybody know. Yeah. So, but, but again, it's a ways off. I mean, it's at least two years away, right? So, I mean, it's like, it's not like it's imminent. We're, I'm still going to be here for a while. I'm still having a lot of fun doing this. So yeah, there we are. All right. Thanks for that, Josh. Next up, Chad Eglund writes, uh, one of two. Uh, Avatar 2 is now Disney's uh, biggest a digital domestic release ever, gross, grossing $1.2 billion in digital sales worldwide and surpassing Endgame at $1.1 billion. Uh, do you think Avatar is Disney's only profitable franchise? What? Don't, uh, Chad, don't be ridiculous. Do you think Avatar is Disney's only profitable franchise from now on since most MCU movies now lose money? Okay, uh, let's visit that for a second. Most MCU movies now lose money. One MCU movie has lost money. Let's, let's say that again. One MCU movie has lost money. Uh, in the last, whatever. Thor Love and Thunder, profitable. Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, super profitable. Spider-Man No Way Home, even though it's also a Sony film, but you know Marvel produced it, Marvel made it. Uh, almost a $2 billion film. Uh, then there was Eternal. You got to go back a little bit now to say Eternals, which ended up not being profitable. That one ended up losing money. Even though, you know what? I've rewatched Eternals a couple of times. You know what? Fuck it. It's a really good movie. Eternals is really good. It is a, it is one of the smartest MCU movies they've done. It really is. And I, I honestly think for me, and I think for a lot of people, the first time I saw it, like I enjoyed it the first time I saw it, but it was so different from all the other Marvel movies. It was different tone, different tapestry, different like everything. But it's actually, I'm not saying it's a top five Marvel film, don't get me wrong, but it was actually really good anyway, but it did lose money. Um, and then after that, you got to go back 10 years to find a Marvel movie. Anyway, like in the last four or five, like one movie didn't make money. Right, No Way Home very profitable. Endgame obviously super profitable. Thor Rag or Thor: Love and Thunder was profitable. Doctor Strange was almost a billion dollar film, super profitable. Uh, so let's. I I don't know where people get get on these narratives that like most MCU movies don't make money anymore. What are you talking about? Honestly, what are we talking about? Black Panther two uh, was was not nearly as good as the first Black Panther, but it made money. <laughs> 
It made over eight. Didn't it make over eight hundred million dollars? Let me let me double check this. Uh, Black. Maybe if I'm typing on the right keys, Black Panther two Wakanda forever. I'm pretty sure it made over eight hundred million. Yeah, it made eight hundred and sixty million dollars at the global box office. So I I. I don't know what we're talking about. We say most MCU movies don't make money. In in which world? And by the way, uh, Star Wars. Last I checked, the last Star Wars movie that came out made over a billion dollars at the box office. As a matter of fact, last I checked, out of the last four, five, out of the last five Star Wars movies to come out in theaters... Four of them made over a billion dollars. Let me repeat that. Out of the last five Star Wars movies that came out, four of them were in the billion dollar club. One of them wasn't. And that was a movie they never should have made in the first place. Even though I liked it, Solo, A Star Wars Story. I liked the movie, I did, but they never should have made that movie. Still, that was the one out of four. So let's, let's, let's reel it in a little bit about Avatar being the only profitable Disney property. I I think it's I think it's time to and somebody in the in the live chat saying the clairvoyance saying Star Wars sequels were wildly expensive to make. No they weren't. Not compared to uh Indiana Jones which cost 300 million dollars to make. They didn't spend anywhere near that on the Star Wars movies. Not like Fast X which cost 350 million dollars to make. Mm-mm-mm. By by big blockbuster standards, the Star Wars movies were not all that expensive by big blockbuster standards, but they were wildly profitable. They were very, very, very profitable movies. Uh, They weren't all great. (laughs) There's a difference between profit and quality. Those are two different discussions, all right? I'm just saying the movies were wildly popular or wildly profitable. I'm not saying they were all wildly good. That's a different discussion for another time for sure. Um... But no, in no universe, in no world. Listen, I got my problems with Disney. I think Marvel's taking a big decline. I think things like Obi-Wan, Book of Boba Fett, Mandalorian Season 3, uh, The Rise of Skywalker. I've, I've had some real issues with the quality of some stuff. Thank God there was Andor. Andor's fucking brilliant. But I got my problem with a lot of this stuff. But let's not pretend we live in some strange pseudo- uh, wild, bizarro world where Avatar is the only thing that's making money for Disney. That, that's that's just factually not true. Um, so, but I mean, it's it's clearly the most profitable thing that they have. If you go on just a per project basis, Avatar's had two movies come out. Two. Both of them are over two billion dollars. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's insane. So Avatar is clearly the most profitable thing they have on, on a project-by-project project basis. 100% they are. Um, all right, guys, listen. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here for just a moment. We're gonna, I'm going to go refill my drink because my cup runneth dry. And I'm going to give you guys a chance to run, use the bathroom, talk amongst yourselves for a second. So hang tight. And while we take this quick break here, we're going to take a moment and thank one of the sponsors, of today's episode of Ask Me Anything, my mobile service provider, and they should be yours, Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, 
Mint Mobile. Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. Sure, it looks like fun at first. They probably even threw in a free phone. But now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills. Like overages and surprise fees. If that sounds like your current big wireless plan, it's time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just $15 a month. You guys know before I came to Mint Mobile, I was paying triple what I am paying now on the standard big wireless plan, and I will never go back. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com campia. That's mintmobile.com dot com slash campia cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia and thank you to our friends at mint mobile for sponsoring this episode of ask me anything all right guys with that down let's get back to the questions here i just got to find out where we left off here uh let's see do 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 got to find my spot Okay, I think I found it. Let's keep things going here. Uh, next up, we've got uh, Jamal B. Castro. By the way, guys, I've had to turn off the Super Chats. The Super Chats are now turned off. At least I think they are. They should be turned off. Let me double check to make sure that they are. Yes, the Super Chats are now turned off. Okay, great. So I've had to turn the Super Chats off or we were going to be here all day. So let's keep things going here. Jamal B. Castro writes, since the Fast and Furious uh, movies don't perform well domestically at the box office anymore, what would you think if it was decided not to make Fast X Part 2 into a movie, but a graphic novel instead? No. No. Who? who no. No, that, that, that would be a lot of ridiculous. The, the only, the appeal of Fast and the Furious, of course, is the car racing and the, the action scenes and the overtopness. That, that just does not play well. In, in a page format. So no, they'll do Fast and Furious, you know, Fast X Part 2 or Fast 11, whatever we're going to call it. They're going to do that movie. They're, they are going to do it. Uh, I suspect the box office will decline even more, but uh, they'll do it. 100% they'll do it. All right. Fanimator writes, over under 50%, Oppenheimer makes the $1 billion mark like Joker did. 0%. Absolute zero. It's not, it's a great movie. It deserves to be a billion dollar film, but absolutely 0% that it gets to the billion dollar mark. Uh, Cutter Hale writes, uh, hey, John, I was in a bad car. Oh no, that's terrible. A couple of weeks ago. And I'm now out of the hospital and in rehab center, hoping to get back to the movie soon. Oh dude, that sucks. I, I am lucky enough that I have never been in a car accident. I mean, the worst car incident I had was it was in a mall parking lot and I was driving along and somebody came shooting out of a spot they shouldn't have been shooting out of and like T-boned me. But I actually, they made it so I T-boned them. The worst damage to my car though, those, they got a scratch in their paint. My license plate got ripped off. We looked at it. We said, you know what? There's no, the guy, you know, the guy said, this was my fault. So it's not going to cost me a lot to fix my paint job. And I said, this looks like it's just the license plate. I'll be able to get that back on. We didn't file a police report or anything. That's the worst thing that's, that I've been a part of. The absolute worst thing I've been a part of. So I, I can't even imagine that. That sucks, man. A speedy recovery to you, Cutter. I hope you get a really, really speedy recovery. All right. 
Uh, next up, we've got a Lore Howard who sends in like a $20 super chat. Thank you, Lore, for supporting us on that level. Lore asks, question. Have you had a chance to play Horizon Zero Dawn or Forbidden West? We know it was suggested, but not sure if you looked into them. You know what? I never did. And I, okay, so I think most of you know this about me. I love video games, but I am hopeless on consoles. I, I can't, I can't do a controller. My brain is just not wired for a controller. I'm, 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 I'm awful with a controller. I am a keyboard and mouse guy. And you know what the big thing about, here's, here's the big thing for me about the difference between console gaming and, and using a PC is that let's say I'm playing like a first person shoot, shooter doom or something. I can just use my mouse literally to do both things, control which way I'm walking and me looking around, right? It, it does everything. I cannot wire my brain and I know it's as simple as walking and chewing bubblegum, but for whatever reason, I cannot wire my brain to use one controller to walk in another direction while using a different controller to look around. I, I just, it throws me off. It, it gives me vertigo. It, it discombobulates my brain and I just can't get, so I try, I, every time a great new game comes out, I sit down and try it for like three minutes and then I give up on it. And I, and I usually throw the controller across the room like, I give up. Um, but, Here's the neat thing. Oh, Sir, Mal Mal uh, Sir Malstein is saying Duke Nukem 3D. Dude, I played so much Duke Nukem 3D. Anyway, um, I recently did a search for really good PlayStation games that someone who's not good at video games on a console can play. And it's funny that Horizon Zero Dawn, those games got brought up and mentioned on the list. I'm going to sneeze in a second. But those... Pardon me. Uh, those games uh, both came up and I've ever since I thought I'm going to try playing those games, but I never got around to it. I think I will though. Um, I'm really hoping that pretty soon I'm going to be able to try Baldur's Gate 3. Um, I haven't been able to get it to do anything but crash on uh, the PC I have. So today I'm swapping out video cards to see if that makes a difference. Like I got a 3070 video card in there. And all the tests I've run say it's, it looks normal, but it's just doing... Anyway, I'm, I'm going to be pulling the 3070 out. I'm going to put my old 2070 uh, in and see if that fixes it. But after I get through Baldur's Gate 3, I think I may... Um, I think I may try uh, going and doing Horizon Zero Dawn. I think I may at that point go back and try that. Because I remember thinking I wanted to try it. But anyway, all right, next up. Where are we at here? Why is my thing not loading? Why is my thing not loading? One second. Give me a second. Uh, I'm having technical issues. Give me a second. I'm sure I'm going to be able to fix this. I'm sure I'm going to be able to fix this. Give me a moment. Uh, uh, come on, come on, come on, come on. Okay, there, I think I got it. There we go. All right. Uh, so anyway, I will try to give that a shot shortly, Laura. Thank you for that. Uh, Svin86 also sends in a $20 super chat. Thank you so much for that, Svin. He writes, uh, still having trouble with uh, Baldur's Gate 3. As a matter of fact, I am. I fixed this issue by shutting down GOG Galaxy uh, for Steam and started the game 
in the folder as administrator. I already did that. Uh, haven't crashed since. Uh, online does not work if you do this way though. Okay, so like, those you may not know, I just, I tried started playing Baldur's Gate 3 and it would crash every time I, went, I was doing character creation and never at the same moment. Like sometimes it would let me get started in character creation. Sometimes I get almost all the way through character creation, but regardless, every time it would crash in character creation. I did everything. I tried starting with Vulcan. I tried starting under DirectX. I tried starting it by bypassing the, the uh, Steam start launcher. I tried it by, by bypassing the, uh, uh, what's the name? What have, it starts with an L, the name of the game company. I tried uh, obviously rebooting the system. I even did a complete wipe of the computer. I reinstalled Windows, wiped everything, reinstalled all the drivers. I updated the GeForce Experience drivers. I did everything and nothing worked. So the last thing I'm going to try today um, is um, swapping out the video cards. That's the last thing I'm going to try today. And if it still doesn't work, it still doesn't work. So we'll see. All right. Uh, next up. Uh, Cockroach 77 writes, Hey John, let's say I own some stock in Disney with a potential sale of the company. Um, with the potential sale of the company, do you know if, if it'd be better to hold on to it or sell off prior? I think it would be better. Okay. I am not a financial expert. I do a lot of investing, but I'm not a financial expert. Okay. So take what I'm saying, just as my own personal experience and what I would do, but I'm no expert. Okay. The thought would be, Let's say Apple, for argument's sake, was going to acquire Disney. I think for Disney shareholders to approve the sale, it would have to be for above market value, right? It would have to be for above market value. Otherwise, you know, why would the shareholders agree to sh sell their shares? They wouldn't, right? So I would think my guess would be it would be a good time to hold on to the stock. I think that would be a good time to hold on to the stock. And um, yeah, hold on to it. It would, all, it would probably be an even better time to own Apple. I mean, if Apple was going to buy Disney, I have a feeling that um, um Apple stock, once it got announced that they were acquiring Disney, my guess is their stock would skyrocket. But again, I'm no financial expert. That's just kind of my, my guess. All right. Uh, next up, we've got uh, Nelson Mia writes, have you seen Nimona? Uh, no, I have not. Blue Sky Studios' last film before Disney closure, 94% of Rotten Tomatoes, and getting Oscar buzz for animated feature. I have not. I don't even know anything about it. I, you know, I think somebody... Uh, I think somebody brought it up on the show once because the name sounds a little bit familiar, but to be honest with you, I know next to nothing about it. So no, unfortunately, Nelson, I haven't seen it. All right, Cutter Hale writes, thanks for all the content. Your videos have been helping me get through my stay in rehab. Uh, do you think Strays could have a box office run? I honestly don't know, but I'll tell you what, man. I am, that is my, the movie, like I'm looking forward to seeing Blue Beetle. I, the first reactions were very good. I think that movie's got potential to be really fun and really entertaining, but the movie I am looking forward to most this week is Strays. That's the one I'm most excited about. The trailers have absolutely slayed me. 
absolutely slayed me. And we're going to go see it on Wednesday night. And we'll do our out of the theater reaction on Wednesday. Me, Ray, and Anna are going to go see it. And I cannot wait. Now, but I have no idea what kind of box office it's going to make. It's R-rated. I don't know if the trailers have been hitting other people the same way. Like, I'm going to ask you guys in the live chat right now. Okay, I'm going to put up a poll. Uh, let's see, start a poll. Um, are you planning on seeing strays? Uh, just yes or no, simple question. I honestly have no idea if, if people are planning on going to see it or not. I know I am. I know it looks great to me. I have, if somebody, if somebody from the future came back to tell me that Stray's made $10 million opening weekend, I wouldn't be surprised. And if they came back and told me it made $70 million opening weekend, I wouldn't be surprised. I have absolutely no idea. And look, I, here it is. Right now, we've got a little over 150 votes. Only 37% of you are saying, yes, you're planning on seeing Stray's. 66% of you are saying you're not. Why? It looks so funny. I I, I, I don't get it. Why, why do you not want to go see this movie? I mean, all film is subjective. It hits us all in different ways. Absolutely. All I know is I'm super excited to see this. I'm really super excited. I think the trailers have been fucking hilarious. I cannot wait to watch this, but most of you guys are not planning on seeing it. So, I mean, there you go. All right, thanks for participating in that, guys. I appreciate that. Okay, let's keep going here. Uh, thanks for that, Cutter. Next up, Robert uh, Prisser writes, hope you're having a good Sunday, fun day, bring on the filthy. I am having a good day, actually. Got up, Ann and I took the dogs for a walk. Um, I went to the gym, uh, came, went home, had a little something to eat, and was off at Disneyland. Then I came into the studio here, my buddy's bringing a 2070 video card over a little bit later, so we're going to swap out video cards on my the machine I've got at home. Going to see if I can get Baldur's Gate 3 fired up. So yes, you know what? Pretty damn good Sunday. The only thing that would make it better is if football was going on right now, but unfortunately, uh, it's not. All right, next up. We got the Cinematic Reviews writes, Thoughts on the last voyage of the Demeter? Didn't see it. Not planning on seeing it. Um... It flopped. I mean, it flopped hard at the bar. I think it made $6 million on its opening weekend. Look, every month, here's the thing. I've been doing this now. I just celebrated my 20th anniversary of doing online movie punditry. July uh, last month was 20 years from when I started my website, The Movie Blog. 20 years. And... Went through a lot of iterations from the movie blog to um, uh, For Your Consideration to AMC to Collider to now the John Campia show. And here's the thing. I have earned the right to not do things I don't want to do. I've earned that. I put in a lot of years of going to a lot of press junkets and stupid red carpets and seeing a lot of movies I had no interest in and blah, blah, blah. I have earned the right at this point in my career to, if there's really stuff I don't want to watch, by the way, Silver saying, John, try rolling back the NVIDIA driver. Dude, do you not think I tried that? I tried that. I mean, good point, but yes, I did try that. Um, anyway, so every month 
there's one or two movies every month that don't appeal to me. Not, not to say that the movies won't be good, but one or two movies a month come out that I have no interest in. And I give myself permission to, for one or two movies a month, not go see them, right? I've got limited time. I'd rather use my time on other things. So, you know, in, in like the, the, the most recent, like 60 days, I didn't see Insidious the Red Door. I didn't see Sound of Freedom. I didn't see Voyage of the, the Last Voyage of the Demeter. I just, you know, I saw previews for Voyage of the, uh, the Last Voyage of the Demeter at CinemaCon. And even at CinemaCon, I thought this doesn't look like it, like it appeals to me very much. It doesn't look interesting. Even though I'm a sucker for vampire stuff, it just didn't look interesting. So I gave myself permission to not go see it. Um, and uh, yeah, so there's that. So no, unfortunately I did not see it. I'm not really planning on seeing it. It sounds like nobody saw it with $6 million. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Kenneth Estrella writes, remember when Universal failed to kick off their monster universe? What are the chances of them trying again and succeeding? Zero. They're not going to do it again. I think what they will do is I think they'll make individual movies like their invisible man movie with uh, what's her name from Elizabeth Moss, right? That's her name from the uh, Handmaid's Tale. Help me out in the live chat. Guy. It's Elizabeth Moss, right? That's her name. Anyway, I'm going to go with Elizabeth Moss unless you guys correct me. From Handmaid's Tale. That Invisible Man movie she made, that was awesome. That, you guys are telling me that, yes, thank you, Sam and Dom and John A.M. and Possum. Yeah, it that movie was awesome, right? But I think that's where their, their zone is going to be. Just make individual movies. Like, forget trying to make... Everybody for a while was trying to jump on board the Marvel Cinematic Universe train Forget that. Just make good standalone movies. I think that's what they're going to do moving forward. So, no, I don't think they're going to do uh, that with the Monster Universe. All right, I could be wrong, but I don't think that they will. All right, Isaac Martinez writes, are you a fan of the Criterion Collection? No, I'm not. Uh, if yes, what is your favorite movie from Criterion? No, I, I pay, I'll, I'll be honest with you, and I know a lot of my hardcore cinematic friends love Criterion and all that kind of stuff. I pay zero attention to Criterion. I'm not bad-mouthing it. I'm not bad-mouthing it in the least. It just means nothing to me. I pay no attention to Criterion, uh, anything like that. So I know that puts me in the minority in my circle, but yeah, I, I don't personally pay any attention to it. Not that other people shouldn't. I'm just saying I don't. That That's all. All right. Uh, next up, we've got, thanks for asking, Isaac. Uh, Ramtack writes, uh, what do you make of Kathleen Kennedy and Frank selling their Malibu home? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Uh, probably just, they got a really good market price for it and they're probably going to make a killing. I guarantee you if it's a Malibu house, depending on how long they live there, they're probably making a cool couple of million dollars in profit compared to when they bought it. I don't read anything into it though. I mean, she literally could be selling her Malibu home to get one, to get a house in Burbank. I mean, it, it, look, you guys already know. I've told you. Kathleen Kennedy will be gone as the head of Lucasfilm by the end of the year. She'll be gone. It's already been decided. It's done. They haven't made it official. They haven't come out and said it. I'm just telling you, it's coming. Uh, but her selling her house, I really don't, I, I don't think that signifies, people buy and sell their houses all the time. I really don't think it means anything. All right, thanks for that, Ramtack. All right, Super Ranger Mud Truck writes, I have a milestone chat. How do I send? 13 months. Um, I'm, here's the thing. 
I don't know how to sell milestone chats because I don't use them. And all that milestone chats do is they give you a big highlight of your chat, but we don't read it on the show because unfortunately YouTube, like here's the thing, <clears throat> see this, all these questions, when you send in a super chat question, and I've asked YouTube about this, when you send in a super chat question, there is a log file, right? Where I can see the list right here of all the super chat questions that got sent in and it lists them off in order that they came in. They tell me how much the super chat was from, for who sent it in, what the question is, all that kind of stuff, right? You can see it, it's right here on my screen. They don't have something like that for milestone chats. Now, milestone chats are for people who are members of the channel and every month they get like a milestone chat that appears in the live chat like a super chat, right? Except it'll be in a big green highlighted box. And we used to try to read those off, but the problem is once they, dis it, it, there's no way to, for us to keep track of them. YouTube does not log the milestone chats. And I have no idea why they don't. So unfortunately, like, you would think it would be easy for me to open a page like this in the log and just say, oh, show me milestone chats. And it would list off all the milestone chats. And it doesn't do that. And I've asked them about it. I've never heard back. I'm like, why, why don't you do that? So we have no way of keeping track of it. And to be honest with you, Super Ranger, I don't know how to say, I mean, talk to some other YouTube channel members here because obviously they know how because they, people send them in. So you can ask the uh, community there. But yeah, unfortunately, I myself, I actually don't know how to do it myself, to be honest with you. All right. And thank you for being a channel member for 13 months, man. Thank you for being a supporter like that. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up, OT32. Um, oh, we're sorry. I got to bring it up. Uh, OT32 writes, used to love MCU and Star Wars. Now I don't care about them. Seems to be a common trend. Any ideas on how they can reconnect with people like me? There is only one thing and only there's only one thing they need to do and it's the only thing they can do. Make great movies again. That's it. Winning cures everything. That's it. Right? I, I, I've made this analogy before, but I'll make it again. So imagine... There's a restaurant you love going to. And every time you go, you love the food. Like a good one for me is Gordon Ramsay's steak in uh, the Paris Hotel in Las Vegas. Every time Ann and I go to that restaurant, it blows our minds. The food is insanely good at it. Okay. So you're always looking forward to going back to that restaurant. You get excited about your next visit to that restaurant. Okay. But what happens when you go to it again, and this time you just thought the food was okay? Eh, all right, well, okay, one meal wasn't great. Okay, that's fine. You'll still be excited about going back to it next time. So you go back to it next time, and again, only this time the movie, the food wasn't very good. You're like, oh, that's like two times in a row. What's going to happen? Your excitement and your enthusiasm about going back to that restaurant is going to diminish a little bit, Right? And then let's say you go for a third time. And again, you're like, this wasn't very good. Guess what? Your enthusiasm, excitement about going back to the restaurant is going to drop even more. It's the same thing with like Marvel, Star Wars, or any franchise. In its 12-year run, 
they were putting out, Marvel was putting out movie after movie after movie that was kicking ass, kicking ass, kicking ass, kicking ass. And it just made us all the time always excited for the next MCU project. But what happens when we start getting projects like Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, like She-Hulk, like Hawkeye, like Moon Knight? You know, what happens when we get like uh, their next project, something like Secret Invasion? What happens when we start going four out of the last five or five out of the last seven projects that we've seen from them haven't been all that great. Well, what's going to happen is your excitement and your enthusiasm, just like going to the restaurant, your excitement and enthusiasm is going to continue to drop. <clears throat> I mean, Star Wars Andor was fantastic. Obi-Wan was not. Book of Boba Fett was not. Mandalorian season three was not. You know? Rise of Skywalker was not. So great, I loved Andor, but like four out of the last five Star Wars things I've seen hasn't really been great. So that's going to impact your excitement. How do they fix it? Put out something that's awesome. That's it. There's no formula. There's no, they have to do a movie where force users do. No, 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 that's all bullshit. Anybody who tells you that has no idea what they're talking about. What they just need to do, doesn't matter what it's about, it doesn't matter what characters are in it, it doesn't matter what the time period is, you just need to put out something awesome. Because when Andor came out, let's look back over Star Wars last couple of years. When Mandalorian Season 1 came out, you saw a huge influx of Star Wars enthusiasm again. When Andor came out, big influx of Star Wars enthusiasm again. That's what they just need to do. That's what Marvel needs to do. That's what DC needs to do. That's what Star Wars needs to do. That's what James Bond needs to do. That's what every franchise needs to do. Just put out something great to get us excited about the property again so we look forward to the next thing. Because you know what I'm not looking forward to anymore? Whatever the next Marvel Disney Plus show is, I'm just not excited anymore. I'm done. I'm not done that I'm not going to watch them anymore, but my excitement for them is gone. This secret invasion thing was, that was pretty much it. Ever since the first Marvel Disney Plus show, um, ever since that first Marvel with WandaVision, right? I have been a midnight viewer because Disney Plus shows in, in Los Angeles drop at midnight. And I have been a midnight viewer. I stay up till midnight. I watch the new episode of the newest MCU show or the newest Star Wars show. I've done that all the way through Secret Invasion and I'm now done doing that. I ain't gonna do it anymore. It's just not worth me staying up to midnight because they consistently have put out lower than their standard of excellence. And again, I don't expect them to be perfect. I don't expect Marvel to be 10 for 10 every time. Not at all but they've been pretty fucking disappointing lately. Guardians of the Galaxy 3 was fantastic. Spectacular. Shang-Chi, spectacular. Ms. Marvel, spectacular. But in the midst of all that, they've also put out a lot of mediocrity and a number of things that are just straight up turds. And it lowers our excitement. So what do they do, OT? What do they need to do to get people like you and frankly like me to really get back on it and rediscover our, our excitement for those properties? Just start putting out quality stuff. Winning cures everything. It really does. So here's hoping that's what they're able to do. <clears throat> All right. Great question, OT. Next up, Hector RG writes, 
never retire, John. Uh, uh, we need fearless, non-apologetic public figures like you to call it like it is. There are others out there. But look, I don't call things like they are. I call them as I see them. And there's a very important distinction, right? The world of film and entertainment is subjective. That means my thoughts and opinions are not right, but they're not wrong. My job, as ever since I, I started my movie blog, and I think there's a number of film pundits that need to learn this lesson. My job, our job as film pundits is not to be right all the time, is not to convince you that we're right, and is not to tell you things you already agree with. None of that is our job. I see too many film pundits out there today that, are, that just try to say what their audience wanna hear, or they try to convince their audience that they're right. Here's the thing, my job is to tell you my perspective and explain my perspective in such a way that it helps you as my viewer sharpen your own point of view, whether it's the same as mine, or help you sharpen your own point of view if it's completely different than mine. The idea of me giving you my perspective and my point of view and my opinion is so you have a better clarity of your own opinion, whether it's the same or different from mine. And if you walk away from a discussion that I have about movies going, you know, I don't agree with them, and I'm now, but and now I have a better idea about why I don't agree with them. Like, I always knew I didn't agree with him on that, but now after hearing him talk about that, I have a clearer idea about why I disagree with him. If you walk away from one of my discussions with that mindset, I've done my job. I've done my job. My job's not to be right. My job's not to convince you that I'm right. And my job isn't to tell you what you already want to hear. My job is to give you my opinion and try to give it in context so you guys can sharpen your own opinions where they're the same. That's why we start off every show now with that. You know, on the John Campus show, we changed up the intro bit. See, we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, not just giving you our opinions, but giving you information and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or different from ours. So I don't call them as they are. I call them as I perceive them and why I perceive them that way. And I do so non-apologetically. I have said a lot of things over the years that have been very unpopular. This is how many shits I give that certain things I have said have been very unpopular because it's not my job to say the popular thing. It's my job to give my thought, my point of view. And if that gets me in trouble with some people sometimes, so the fuck be it. Guess what? I'm still here. I'm in this business. I'm fucking really successful. By little nobody YouTube standards, I'm really, when it comes to all the nobodies, I'm a super successful absolute nobody. <laughs> it's, a, it's talking about swimming in a small pond, right? So out of, in the world of absolute one in a, you know, a million of them out there, stupid faced YouTubers, I'm pretty successful. I've done it for 20 years. Um, and I do it just by telling you what I think and why I think it. And if you disagree with that, that's awesome. And if you agree with it, it's equally awesome. But there are other people out there who do that as well. Like, so when I do retire, I'm not the only one who does it. There, there's, there's other good voices out there. And that's one of the reasons why I'm always trying to encourage other people 
to start their own podcasts, to start their own blogs, to start their own YouTube channels, because the movie community needs to have more voices out there to stand against you know, the political ideology that certain people out there try to push, whatever, just to, just to be open, fair, honest, and understanding that all film is subjective, that we don't need to love the same things to love each other. We don't need to celebrate the same things to celebrate that we're all movie fans together. We don't need to all hate the same movies for us to identify with each other. I've always said that's the most beautiful thing about movies is their subjectivity. I love even movies I hate. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. I really don't like that movie. But you know what? Jonathan Voigtko really likes it. And that's awesome. Some of you really liked Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. And that's awesome. I didn't. And that's okay. That's the best thing about being film fans. Too many, right now, too many people out there too many bloggers or outlets or, or YouTubers or whatever, they try to create these homogenized communities where here we all think the same thing. You'll never say that about my channel. You'll never say that about my channel. I love having people that have different points of view, like coming to me and say, ah, you know what, John? I love that you love Ms. Marvel, but I really didn't like it. I'm like, cool. People come to me say all the time, you know, I just watched Star Wars for the first time and I don't get why everybody loves it so much. Oh, that sucks, but that's cool. You know, what, you know we, we don't, the movie fan community is supposed to be this richly diverse set of thoughts and opinions and, and backgrounds and whatever that we all get to celebrate the art. And again, I just see too many places and too many outlets and too many whatever that are just trying to create a homogenized groupthink sort of thing. And, and, and I just don't think it's good for anybody. But anyway, that, that's, that's just me. But thank you for the kind words, man. I, I appreciate that. All right. Uh, next up, we got uh, Chazarus, who writes, Been thinking about the WGA strike and Marvel Disney Plus, Dis Marvel Disney Plus's declining quality. Would, show would shows improve if they had a few more episodes and bigger writing staff? Thanks for streaming, John, on two-hour flight delay at the airport. I'm glad I'm able to be here. I'll tell you what, when I am got some kind of a big delay, that's the first thing I do is like, who's streaming live on YouTube right now? Like, I need somebody to help me kill the time. So I'm glad I'm able to be here and do that for you. Um, yes, bigger writer's rooms. Bigger writer rooms and a bigger canvas for people to tell their stories. Look, if all you're going to do is tell a long movie, then make a movie. If you want to use the format of a television series, then give them a big enough Kansas to really flesh out a television series. And I think one of the things to start with that is, look, you look back at some of the greatest shows of all time. They had these big, experienced, incredible writer's rooms, right? I remember I, I go back every once in a while and I watch stuff on, like one of my top three all-time favorite television shows was Spartacus. I love that show. Aaron was on that show but I loved Spartacus. And when I would go back and watch some behind the scenes stuff, whenever it was in the writers, they had like these 17 people writers rooms. And, and that's like people bouncing ideas off each other and sharpening in concepts and all this kind of stuff. And the end result was this amazing show. Now, look, that's not a formula for, for success. It, and just because you have a, 
16-person writer's room does not guarantee your show's going to be great, but bigger episode count, more of a longer runway to tell your story and get more voices in the room to bet with a really good, strong, singular showrunner to kind of wrangle it all together. And, and listen, art is a collaborative effort, man. So yeah, I really do think that would help. I, I can't guarantee it, but I really do think it would help. And that's just me. And by the way, there have been shows written by very small groups of people that have also been excellent. It's not, it's not a formula that only one will work and the other won't. But I do think the chances of your shows getting better by having a broader, you know, mix of fresh voices and experienced voices and all that kind of stuff that bounce off each other. I, I just think it increases the chances of your show being great. I think it just increases the chances. Not that a singular writer or a group of two or three writers can't make great stuff. Obviously they can. We've seen some really great stuff on TV. Yellowstone, for example. But I think you increase your chances of it being great with a, with a larger writer's room. But that's just me. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong about that. All right. Uh, Jamie Rell writes, Tom Cavanaugh as Zach Braff's brother in Scrubs was perfect. That was a great... Like, Tom Cavanaugh, by the way, was um, Eobod, the first Eobod Thawne on uh, the TV show Flash. I, I, he's a good Canadian kid, Tom Cavanaugh. So it's good to have him in there. Anyway, Tom Cavanaugh, Zach Braff's brother in Scrubs is perfect. You'd buy the chemistry between the two. It's one of the only shows to have a great finale. Well, yes and no. Yes and no. See, what was supposed to be the Scrubs finale was wonderful. It used, what you ended up with is you had Zach Braff looking at this, what looked like a home movie projection, and he was seeing his future, right? With his friends, with his love, with all that kind of stuff, with, with future children he would have. And it was so beautiful because it played with the Peter Gabriel song called The Book of Love, which by the way, was mine and Anne's wedding song. Um, Anne and I both came down the aisle to The Book of Love. The book of love is long and boring. No one can lift the damn thing. It's, if you've never heard Peter Gabriel's song called The Book of Love, go find it, listen to it, let it move you. It's amazing. And anyway, so they were playing The Book of Love as he's watching this, this home movie projection of the future of his life and what lays ahead of him, right? It was a beautiful ending to Scrubs. Until they did another season. They brought Scrubs back on another network, only it didn't have Zach Braff. And that season was awful. <laughs> like, really awful. So yeah, Scrubs sort of had a great series finale. Sort of had a great series finale until it wasn't the series finale anymore, which was really too bad. <laughs> All right, let's keep going here. Um, Cutter Hale writes, thoughts on Murder Season 3, first two episodes. Haven't started watching Murder Season 3. Haven't started on it yet. Um, I just started getting going finally on Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2. I'm about four episodes in on that. I got to get through that. I'm, I'm keeping up with what we do. By the way, how good is what we do in the shadows this year? 
How good is what we do in the shadows this year? Oh my God. The only hairy frog I'm interested in, my darling, is the one between your legs. Not just the frog, but the whole swamp. Are you fucking kidding me? I mean, this show, what we do in the shadows is firing on all cylinders right now. It is absolutely firing on all cylinders. It is so funny. So uh, I'm trying to keep up with what we do in the shadows. Harley Quinn has also been very good this year. Trying to get now caught up on um, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Um, and I have not started on what we do, uh, mur only murders in the building yet. Haven't started on season three of only murders in the building yet. Once I do, I will let you know. But guys, listen to me. Listen to me. If you guys are, have not started watching what we do in the shadows, Watch what we do in the shadows. Um, I thought it was a terrible idea to do that show. It was just going to be a cheap wannabe knockoff of the movie because the movie's incredible. And it's better than the movie. The show is better than the movie was. It's just uh, so good. All right. <clears throat> Thanks for that, Cutter. Next up, The Richard writes, Love Wednesday, love Beetlejuice uh, more than you. Any updates on Beetlejuice 2? I mean, there have been, not lately. I mean, there were a bunch of updates a month or two ago. Um, uh, there were even some behind-the-scenes set pictures, I think, came out. I, I, I am not actually a huge Beetlejuice fan. Don't get me wrong. I liked Beetlejuice. Like, I, I look back fondly at Beetlejuice, but it, it's not the, the all-time classic in my head the way it is with a lot of other people. And that's that's cool. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, I don't, I'm not particularly excited for the next Beetlejuice, but yeah, there were a bunch of updates um, up to about two months ago. And then the updates kind of stopped, which is fine because you're in a period of time where you don't want any more updates, right? They're making the movie. No news is good news because the only news that can come out about it now is if something's going wrong. So this is the kind of, you're in that zone right now. And plus with the actor strike and the writer strike, everything's on hold anyway. But you're kind of hoping not to hear, um, you're hoping not to hear any kind of update because the only kind of update that can come out right now is uh, is if it's bad news. So here's hoping that doesn't happen. All right. Next up, Cutter Hale writes, uh, did you ever watch Justified? Never did. Even though I love Timothy Oliphant, I never did watch Justified. It's one of the greatest shows ever, in my opinion. Timothy Oliphant is amazing in it. Uh, City Primeval has been good so far. Yeah, actually, I've always thought, because I love Timothy Oliphant, he always is playing the lawman. Anyway, I always thought I wanted to watch that show. And then now I know, I see they've got some kind of a revival. I don't know if it's, help me out. Is that a new series or is it just a, a one-shot movie? But anyway, they've, they've kind of done a revival, which has increased my interest in wanting to go and watch it. So hopefully at some point I'll have a chance to do that. All right, <clears throat> next up. Uh, Jamie Rell writes, oh, and this is our final question of the day. All right, Jamie Rell writes, One Piece is about a guy who wants to be king of the pirates. The first 62 to 63 episodes are very grounded within great score, complex characters. It's about friendship and dreams. It's a great story. And hey, listen, I love that there are people that have such a passionate love for that. I have zero interest in it. I'm not crap talking it. I've never seen it. I'm not saying a single bad thing about it. It's just, it's not for me. Uh, I'm, I, so I'm never going to be made to be interested in it, unfortunately, but I love that so many people are and that so many people are passionate about it and are getting joy out of it. That's fantastic. It's just clearly not for me. It's really, really not for me. All right, guys, 
With that down, that'll do it for today's installment of Ask Me Anything. Thank you so much for being here and making this little show part of your Sunday. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in those super chats, number one, because you gave us really fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel as you did it, and everybody involved with our channel here, thank you guys so very much for your support. Don't forget to come on back. Actually, Rob's going to be on the show tomorrow. Make sure you come back and join us for that. Uh, Rob's going to be in. Um, actually, I'm going to let you guys know there's a new schedule. <clears throat> so the new schedule is um, Rob's schedule has freed up a little bit. And Rob is now going to be on the John Campus show tomorrow. Uh, twice a week, every week on Mondays and Wednesdays. So the schedule for the next little while will be, uh, Rob will be on Mondays. Chris will be on Tuesdays. Rob will be on Wednesdays. And then Chris will be Thursdays and Fridays. And that's going to be the new, um, uh, schedule moving forward. So, and that starts tomorrow. So we look forward to seeing you guys back here again tomorrow. Uh, that will do it for me for now, guys. I'm going to go home, see if I can put in a new video card. <laughs> To try to see if I can get Baldur's Gate going before I go to bed. Uh, thank you so much to everybody in live chat. Calo, Sage, uh, Jake, Lane, The Richard, Don Don, TOJ76, Tachi, everybody who's been here. Thank you to all of you guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye. <laughs>